win yourself some of this. It's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with the Brian Campbell. And it is back with a bang. All box, all the time, getting you fired up for the sport of the sweet science. The Brian Campbell, the voice that you hear. Look, folks. We're back with another big one, all right? You want big-time boxing analysis from over the weekend and maybe the fight of the year between Julian Williams and Jared Hurd. You got it right here. You want a big-time preview of the fights coming this weekend. You're going to get it. Hey, you want interviews? We got that once again to this day, brother. To this day. To this day. To this day. We thought we were getting you an interview with WBC heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder, who returns this Saturday. A little late switch up in the schedules. Wilder had a lot going on this week, but come on. SOC's got your back. The State of Combat comes through with his opponent for Saturday night, Brooklyn, New York. Here comes trouble. Dominic Brazil stops by the pod to get you fired up for this fight. Yeah, I mean, who else? is going to give you this kind of package. Only the state of combat, so please get out there. Five-star review, Apple Podcasts, uh, I don't know. Where else? Tinder, Spotify, uh, uh, iTunes, uh, my, my horn, your, no, it's your bull, your bull.com, whatever. All right, enough of that crap. It's time to bring in the guy that we love and we know. He's a New York Times uh, high-selling author, I think is what they call it. His name is Rafe. Bartholomew. Let me lick you, lick up. you up. Let me, lick let me you sell up. you books. Lick stories. Let me lick you all Friggle at me. Oh, oh, let me lick you New York, York Times. Oh, baby. I seller. Ray Bartholomew, one of the highest sellers in book history. But we're talking box this week, bro. How is it? I had a chance to visit you on the left coast last week. I'm back in my home space. How you doing out there, bro? I'm doing very well. You're looking refreshed, Brian. I caught you at the end of yes. that long, epic marathon travel, L.A. to Vegas to L.A. again, six days in Vegas. It was peak washed, Brian Campbell. You're looking good, man. Looking Thank good. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I was out in L.A. extra, as we mentioned, for that PBC face-to-face. And look, whether you enjoy that show or not, Rafe, you got to get yourself fired up for what was one contentious episode coming your way i don't know the launch date but we do know that june 23rd a sunday night is that rematch between jermel charlo and the wbc junior middleweight champion tony harrison and rafe wow we didn't get was the show was the show as crazy as the press conference uh yeah yeah in a lot of ways you know there's no fisticuffs it wasn't you know we don't have to worry about the fight's not off no 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 fight ain't over none of that but uh it's funny, Rafe. On that show, sometimes you don't get the personalities. Sometimes you have to do subtle coaching and be like, look, it's okay. You want to talk over me? You want to interrupt? Rafe, it was like two screaming people the whole time and me grabbing arms, just trying to get them to stop for a second so I can ask a question. There was intense. There was hatred. I was fired the heck up. The Wat- Our boys, the Watson brothers? You know, from, from, from Team Haven? Yes, of course. They, they both gave me hugs after almost to be like, wow, bro. You know, like that was intense. Like, wow. Yeah. Trial by fire. Now, Brian, 
during that press conference, during Tony Harrison's epic, now epic cornball rant, he was dropping some language that might, um, might make a man of your complexion a little bit <laughs> uncomfortable or embarrassed. Yes. Were you sitting in the middle of some of those end bombs? Uh, I, I, it's funny. That was a, a conversation I had with the, with the brass of the show saying, look, is this good for America if we have this type of language? Luckily, it didn't go in that direction of that word, of that bomb, but there was plenty of MF coming your way that there's going to be a lot of beeping and bleeping going on there. Wow. Wow, wow. I don't know if you caught the uh debut of the Austin Trout Terrell Gaucher episode that aired this past weekend, Rafe. You told me on this show, you challenged me to once an episode create moments, right? Create create something for the soundboard, right? Sean Porter and the other guy gave us this that one time. It ain't. And it won't. And you not. And you ain't. And it ain't. Yeah. So. so. Uh, well, Terrell Gaucher gave us this. I don't know if this is up to your standards, but this is the best I, I could scrape from last night. To, uh, what do you, how he come out? Because I know how I'm coming. You know how I'm coming. There ain't gonna be enough. You bro. know how I'm coming, bro. In and out. I'm gonna beat you, you inside and outside, man. You know how I'm coming. Rafe, was that an adult movie or was that a, uh, but were they talking box there? What's going on there, Rafe? Was, uh, was that, are you now the host of dog, doghouse, dog pound <laughs> no. USA videos? Are you the new face, Brian? Uh, what is going on? This is, that was the raw dog. That was the, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, that was the raw dog right there. Wow. Jeff Horn. All right. Uh, <laughs> wow. All right. You got me all flustered there, Rafe. Yeah. More like face to face, more like tip to tip, right? You know what no, I mean? You know, you know what I'm saying? I have a group of analysts who receive the tip. All right, all right, enough of that. Um, Rafe, we're going to be doing a lot of box talk today. Um, we know this is a big weekend for box with Wilder Brazil on Showtime this weekend, but when you look around the world of sports, this is also a big week in the sport of golf. So, hey, you golf fans out there who listen to the State of Combat podcast, the PGA Championship is here right now, and CBS Sports is giving you tons of ways to follow the action at the second major championship of the year. You can watch the tournament live stream on Saturday and Sunday on the CBS Sports mobile app and on CBSSports.com. You want to know what the price, bros? Totally for free, all right? You don't have to pay subscription fee, no cable package to watch, no nine ninety nine, none of that. But we don't stop right there. We also have CBS Sports HQ, our streaming sports network that's on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, bringing you the news, highlights, and in-depth analysis that a sports fan deserves. I know you're already checking out your boy BC, breaking down fights on there, but our experts are also going to give you insider info to help you set your fantasy lineups and place winning bets. And we do it all without any yelling, no fake debates. Look, this is the perfect network for fans who want their sports coverage without delving into the politics and all of the other off-the-field topics. And guess what? It's free. So during PGA Championship Week, CBS Sports HQ has your back with highlights of the action. Our golf analyst Kyle Porter will provide on-site breakdowns from Beth Page Black throughout the week. Hey, will Tiger Woods win another major and pull closer to the Golden Bears record? Will Ricky Fowler finally win his first major, the big one? Wow. Wow. No, he won't. Hey, you're going to have to find out by following all the action with CBS Sports. Download our app on your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV. Start watching today. Tell them BC sent you. Woo! But we have to start the show off solemnly, if you will, 
because of a loss in the boxing world that I think touches a lot of people. And this is no joke. The great, the great International Boxing Hall of Fame judge and longtime HBO personality and broadcaster Harold Leatherman lost his battle with cancer at 79. Uh, this just happened the last few days, Rafe. And man, tough news because Good Lord, Harold is boxing. He was boxing. He still will be boxing, Rafe. This was a man who, uh, and we'll talk about it, how funny and great he was on the air, but if you met the man in person, loved everybody. No one had a bad thing to say about him. And the dude just loved box. Seriously, whether it's a four-rounders and some smoker or whether it's the big time, he was at every single fight in the Northeast in the last 20 years, like every single one, Rafe. He lived a life. Uh, I'm really sad to see him go. I didn't realize I was not woke to his health circumstances, so this came as a shock to me. I didn't know if they had announced it or if they were intentionally keeping it quiet. I hate to say it. I was a little bit. I just, you just got that feeling because you hadn't. There was all this movement around in in the world of boxing and and all these sort of new platforms staffing up with with the, you know somebody could have used Harold of course as as the unofficial ringside scorer of the zone or of whatever. Not that, that that Chris Mannix isn't doing a good job with that or, or that Marcos Viegas and other folks aren't doing a decent job on Fox, but. You just would have expected someone would have snapped up the name brand and that he wasn't available made me a little bit worried, you know, when, when folks of a certain age kind of disappear from the scene. But you know what? You're right. Everyone, everyone, it seems, has some story about a time, you know, everyone in the boxing business industry circle, whatever, they, this twisted galaxy that we're a part of, this perverted community. Everyone has some story of landing next to Harold at a fight. At a time, you know, maybe it was hours before the main event, hours before he was supposed to go on the air for HBO, and he'll sit next to you and just start rattling off boxing stories, talking about the fight. He'll start scoring the fight next to you while you're watching some four-rounder deep on the undercard. He really – and that stuff is all genuine, and that that in fe- he that's why he was so great in that role, even if we knew his – biases as a ringside judge right he he definitely favored activity yes he definitely was a guy who could sometimes overlook the the the, the defensive brilliance of a performance but the enthusiasm he brought to the role the the way he exploded almost onto into into your ear holes where every <laughs> time he would come on and be like okay jim i got to tell you like that was uh, that was like when the that's almost like when the fight begins you know, it was I mean, just like, like that that starts it's like mm, few vo- here you know like they say in rock music where like it, there's a handful of guys who have that distinct guitar tone where they could be playing a song you never heard before, but you're like, oh, that's Hendrix. That's Van Halen, right? That's, um, like, like certain guys on the flute. That's Thurman. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like, no, in all seriousness, he has a voice that, that arguably literally was as dis, you know, as unique, as distinguishable as, as right away of anyone in the sport's history, really. And his style is just, was just so fun. Like Rafe, he brought personality to a job. Well, he's the rules expert, basically, right? To a job that's devoid across all fronts, whether you're talking about Major League Baseball broadcasts, NFL broadcasts, anytime there's a ex-judge, referee on site, on staff there that they bring on, it's always the lamest segment, the lamest person possible. And here's somebody who always left you wanting more of him on the broadcast because it wasn't just the, the jubilation and the happiness. He opened every response with a laugh. It was, ha, 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 okay, Jim. It was just the fact that everybody's got a really bad impersonation of him. But 
on top of that, he was really good at breaking down the rules and, and, you know, controversial situation. Let's go over to Harold and he'll break it down. And he was never afraid to be opinionated. And that's what I loved about it. Rape wasn't afraid to be the polar opposite of the broadcast. Wasn't afraid, as you mentioned, to have his own strike zone and style always favors the heavy punchers, always favors the boxer moving forward and was just life or death on that. And would, would argue and fight you on the air. And I, I'm going to be honest, my favorite part about him, and this might sound like a put down, but it's actually a compliment. He always sounded like he was partying. Like he always sounded like that drunk guy. I don't even know Harold's personal life if he had a drink or not, but he always sounded like this loud, crazy drunk guy on the air. And it was something welcoming about that. It was sort of like, this is box. This sport's ridiculous. This is the red light district. And this guy is our court jester in the middle of it. Oh, and he just happens to be really good at his job on top of it. Remember that one time that uh, HBO had a split broadcast? Do you remember this? They put they had Max call in the fights in like Montreal for a Stevenson fight, and they had the other okay. team out west. And Harold got to do a analysis, not just the score job. He was the he was the analyst for one fight because I think Roy was also in Montreal, but Roy was managing or training one Best of the Gowling. fighters. So the team for that one fight was Max Kellerman and Harold Letterman. And Harold was so freaking fired up before the fight when they talked to him that he was going to make his actual analyst debut. And then the fight ended in like a first-round knockout or something like that. I know I'm butchering the story. I may have the cities and the times wrong. But I remember that, and I was so fired up for Harold because he made you love him, Rafe. He was special. Look, in this carnival of ridiculousness, he was a special character. That's right. And and even, I mean, even in his passing, which we're all sad about, it really – it. That felt like a like a real celebration of love of the sport because that was just his whole life. That was the only th- – every story about Harold, had, that was the at the core of it, just how much he, he loved – he didn't just respect Vox. He loved Vox, and he lived it, and it just – it was hard to uh, – of course – you know, our deep condolences go to, to, of course, his daughter, Julie Letterman, and the rest of his family. Uh, but it's, it was hard for me to get real down about because he just lived this rich, amazing life and, and clearly loved what he was doing all the way through. It was, it was, uh, he's an inspiring guy in that way. Yeah. And he would get fired up for fights. If you ran into him and you were like, Oh, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, this rematch they got coming up next. He'd be like, fought, like, like giddy over it. And you love that. That's real passion. Look, you don't go to every fight on the East Coast unless you live for this and you love this. So, RIP to the great Harold Letterman. I love that even when they tried to replace him late in his career, when they brought in Steve Weisfeld, who, great judge, basically Champa level on the, a uh, Champa level on the, uh, the late Chuck Champa on the, uh, microphone. And I love that Harold withstood that storm and was back on the air and he finished it. He finished the job, Rafe. When HBO went off the air for good in December, he was on that last show. And, uh, man, man, I love that man. I love him. We all love him. We all love him. I almost, I, on, on Friday or Saturday, whenever the news broke, I almost wanted to try and start some kind of viral hashtag of, hey, boxing fans, let's all, let's all record ourselves for 20 seconds talking like Harold and, and, and with a hashtag, thank you, Harold. <laughs> and I don't know if that would have been like a, a, a celebration of the man or just a, a really disrespectful way to, to, <laughs> to, to kiss him goodbye. So I, I held back, but it was, it was, it was, it was in my head. I'll also give him credit because like, like he was 79 when he passed. And if you saw him in recent years, he was an old man when you saw him, right? I mean, he's yeah. at 70 years, set high seventies, yet on the air, Rafe, there really isn't much of a difference between like 1998 Harold Letterman and 
2017, 18, 19, Harold Letterman. Like, he was pretty much the same guy. He held the job together well on the air. He's a he's a true legend, and uh, why don't we play a little bit of Harold sound? This wasn't supposed to be a sound I was going to play because it's got sound on the end that you sent me. But I was listening to the extended version. I'm like, here's a Harold sound. Here's a, a regular Harold drop. This is a round in which Soto reassumed functional control of the fight. Harold, how do you have it through six? Uh, okay, Jim. Five rounds to one. Fifty-nine, fifty-four. Umberto Soto. Jim, Bobby Pacquiao bleeding badly from a cut over his right eye. Therefore, anything that Umberto Soto throws with his left hand, Bobby Pacquiao usually doesn't see because the blood is going into his right eye. If Soto throws left hooks, left jabs, just like that, he lands it because Pacquiao, you know, has that blood coming into the eye. Five to one, Umberto Soto. I have blood on my bout sheet, but it hasn't yet reached my shirt. Well, then I'm ahead of you. Because my shirt is all Bobby Pacquiao up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bobby Pacquiao. No, 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 Riff. No, 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 no. It's not a blow, blow, Riff. It's not a blow, blow. It's not a blow, not a blow, blow. Oh, shout it's a out good to punch, Harold. Man. It's a good punch. Hey, man. I also like when Harold would get really mad at the fighter who was supposed to be winning for not, like, doing enough. He'd be like, oh, come on. I don't understand it. He's not throwing you. He's not getting off with his jab. He's not throwing any punches. It, it was great. Love that guy. Love that man. All right, Raphael. Um... You're pressed for time. You're a man of many businesses and lives. Rafe, let's recap the weekend. It all went down in Fairfax, Virginia, the home of Dan Raphael, if you will. Not the home of good scorecards coming out of Dan Raphael, but the home of Dan Raphael. And we may have seen the fight of the year. Let me put over this junior middleweight division in PBC under that flag. We talk about welterweight, welterweight being loaded with PBC. We talk about 168. Being loaded. Sometimes talk about featherweight being loaded. PBC has all the junior middleweights outside of Jaime Munguia that you should care about. And it is a wild west, Rafe, because holy crap, Julian J. Rock Williams, Philadelphia born, put on the performance of his life. No, he didn't slickly outbox unified 154 champion Jared Hurd. He swiftly went in there into hell with him, Rafe, and came out as the quicker guy as the more technical guy, and in some ways the tougher guy. Rafe, he beat Jarrett Hurd by doing Jarrett Hurd things. Because the only way you're going to beat Jarrett Hurd is by out-Jarretting Hurd, Jarrett Hurd. He turned into Jarrett Hurd, Rafe, and it turned out to be a well-deserved, unanimous decision. They didn't screw him. They were in the phone booth all night. Him and his brother used to bang it out. It was awesome, Rafe. Your thoughts. Yeah, it was awesome. Brian, can we, I, I'm not, are we going out on a limb? I, will people argue that this was not 2019's fight of the year? Because this fight, even, even if you could say that Julian Williams was too far ahead or something like that, there was always, always that. I, I, I watched the whole thing on pins and needles thinking, man, he's pulling it off, but, I, this fight looks like it could turn at any moment just because of how big and physical Hurd is and, and the way he's done that to almost everyone else who's fought. And this was a, a more physical, rougher, more brutal fight than the ones that turned when he when he finally got the knockout against Tony Harrison or the knockdown against Eris Landilara. I mean, this was one where I don't J- Julian Williams. Oh my God, what this talk about? Oh my God, this what this had Emmanuel Stewart moments. The the, the shot 
shots they were landing inside, making you scream, oh my god, oh, look at this! It was a special night. And to your point about even though it was large, relatively, relatively one-sided, right? What were the scores? 16-11? You, yeah, and that sounded about, it was about an 8-4, you know, but every round was competitive and just the way Heard fights, you, you, and, and well, here, how the size, you, you're wondering, oh, can Williams keep it up? Will this catch up with him? Here's why it stayed dramatic not just the style the style that they that they fought the work rate the the intensity the pressure the two-way action was great but every time Hurd tried to rally which was a lot he'd get off some punches and you'd be like oh okay wait wait a second is Williams hurt J-Rock would come back with even more Rafe there was no, like he made it so hard for Hurd to steal rounds just by being the bigger man and the bigger name and okay, he landed the bigger shots that round. Oh well, maybe I'll lean to him because J-Rock would come back at the end of every round and just flurry. I mean, Rafe, it was as good as that fight was and as much as I think we're rightfully hailing it 2019's fight of the year, the story of J-Rock Julian Williams coming back to win this and win this as impressively as he did, I think was almost better than the fight itself because J-Rock's speech afterwards I think he's right, and I think we all, journalists and podcasters and crooked and corrupt and cynical fans alike, need to listen to what he said. When he got knocked out by Charlo in a fight, Jamal Charlo, in a fight that he was winning, in a fight that he was going for, and he got caught with a vicious uppercut, and he was never the same, and he got stopped shortly after. True or false, Rafe, you and I joined everyone else in going, oh, man, I really liked J-Rock, too. Too bad he doesn't have a chin on the elite level, right? Isn't that what we all said, Rafe? We didn't say, oh, damn, he walked into that friggin' hellacious uppercut that would have killed anybody. We were all like, oh, man, I like that guy, too. Too bad he's not good enough. And he well, basically came out and said, boxing, stop this. We can take a loss and come back and get better. And he certainly did that, Rafe. Yeah, J-Rock is right. And, and we. this is something that boxing observers and fans lament all the time, the overreaction to one loss the idea that a guy with a with one l on his record is is gone forever and that we need to protect every everybody's o for as long as possible and lest they become unmarketable or you can't make as much money off them after that that is bs and he's right to call it out however brian i would like to defend the punditry or everyone who judged that performance because it's the only performance meaningful performance we ever had to judge julian j rock williams on now is that his fault no he beat the other guys who were put in front of him but but who i don't care if you don't want to blame him we can look towards the matchmaking the sort of the the pvc style of protecting guys until they're in big fights and it works in terms of building up their stars and, and, and maximizing their incomes. And in that case, you can't really argue it because it's good management in a lot of cases. However, as boxing fans, we go in not really knowing what these guys have. And then in their first big shot, as in J-Rocks against Jamal Charlo, when he got knocked down by a jab in that fight before he got knocked out and then got one punch knocked out, even by a big puncher at 154 and a guy who's now a big puncher at 160, Jamal Charlo, that's going to raise questions about a chin when you haven't seen a guy fight anyone else that good. So it, I, if if he want now now that we have more to judge on, we've seen him go to war and and seen him put in this incredibly tough performance. Yeah, that that erases any questions, but 
you if you don't have any other information going into this fight with Jared Hurd for for Julian Williams, I don't blame anyone who's like, well, I don't know if he can if he can hang in there with a guy who's worn down and knocked out or knocked down almost a uh, really really good fighters. So I'm not I I don't I I see J Rock is right, but at the same time. We, everybody, fans, you can only base your opinions on what you've seen in the ring before. Oh, don't defend all of us who got it wrong, Rafe. We got it wrong that this man had a lot of Philly in him, and he showed that. He took his Philly out. I mean, I mean, J-Rock had a stick. He took his Philly out and swung it all over Hurd because, look, Rafe. He gave it to him Philly style. He really did. Tyrone Tyrone style. style, LDS, yeah. Uh, Because, look, when I wrote the preview and when you and I talked about it on the show last week, it was really going to be hard until Hurd moved up to middleweight eventually to favor any junior middleweight against him because, good Lord, we saw Lara, the most skillful of all the junior middleweights, the guy who, if you press him, he'll bring the dog out. He'll turn into Cuban Lara that we've never seen before, the uh, a guy who will punch and, and sting you. And, man, he made Lara empty the tank completely and dropped him and won a split decision. So if skillful Lara can't do it, Every prediction would be the same. Okay, this guy will win early rounds against Swift, but then late when Heard the size of a cruiserweight just starts walking him down, what are you going to do? I'm shocked that J-Rock had it in him, that he had that combination of stamina, toughness, and skill, but he put it all together on the biggest night of his career. He would not say no. And I think he also, Rafe, tell me if I'm wrong, he avoided getting bullied by Swift. Maybe he did that by landing big shots himself, by figuring out that that uppercut was there all day. And I think he may have exposed something. Not that we didn't know coming in that Hurd wasn't the most technical. He said it himself in every interview, in the face-to-face I did. He's like, yeah, I get hit. I get hit. It's part of it, right? But Swift can't really – Swift couldn't equal him in terms of fighting on the inside. We're used to Smith – I'm sorry. We're used to Swift walking a guy down, cornering him, and just – just – exploding, if you will, right? They tease the bag on him, and he brings the mess, if you will. But when it comes to two-way infighting, he didn't have it with J-Rock. Like, it was like novice and expert, it seemed like. It did seem that way. J-Rock really outfought him. The uppercuts, the little short chopping rights, I mean, they were nasty punches. The way he'd shoulder him off and then land a nice big shot, it was really beautiful infighting from J-Rock. It might be because... That kind of infighting, they call, you know, you see, I'm not the the best judge of it, but you hear experts talking about it. They say that it is a little bit of a a dying art in boxing and one of those things that remains alive in cities with the tradition like Philly. You knew now Bernard Hopkins wasn't really a brutal infighter in the same way that we saw in this one. He was more, he would diffuse you more, especially later in his career, but you, he was, he was as safe inside like deep inside the pocket is almost anyone else right you could never land something clean on bernard so that that and all that, that just it might be something that has to do with not not the tyrone philly style but the philly style of fighting guys who really know how to handle themselves inside other guy jared hurd has looked good on the inside against other fighters right he he looked it was it, he he was in there against lara the whole time and and smothered him and and managed to to eventually wear him down. I think that Hurd trusted his ability to wear a, an opponent, every opponent down a little too much in this fight. Now, look, he was at 23 and 0 going into this fight. 
unified belts in the division. It's hard, to, hard to say you trusted what had been working too much, but, but in this case, it, it, it seemed like he was just, all right, I'm going to keep leaning on him. It's okay. He's fighting me inside. Even if he's winning these exchanges and hurting me at times, I'm still in this fight because come rounds nine, 10, 11, 12, he is going to be so gassed from having a guy who outweighs him by what, maybe 20, more than 20 pounds, lean on him all night, that that was going to eventually work in Hurd's favor. And credit to the conditioning, the willpower, the stamina, the skill of J-Rock, it didn't, that, that moment never came. And that's the danger of being a, uh, I mean, it was Breadman, it was, it was, uh, of uh, Julian Williams trainer who called Jared Hurd the, the black margarito, yes. right? Which is a, a very, I, I think, apt in a lot of ways comparison kind of pressure they put on. Maybe, maybe Margarito was, you know, went to the body with those hooks a little bit differently, but whatever. Size and pressure they could put on their opponents. It, it does feel similar, but every once in a while, a Margarito runs up against a, a Paul Williams who can, who has the backbone to take it and dish it out. And that's what happened in this fight. And that's the problem when you are one of these Frankenstein fighters who just, it's like, I'm going to walk you down and just, burr, burr, burr. yeah, that works until it doesn't work. Wow. And now this division is thrown upside down when we consider that we're heading into a Charlo Harrison rematch. When you consider that Lara's trying to get stay relevant, he, he went to a draw against that newcomer Brian Castaño a few months ago. Uh, this is a fun division. This is sort of wide open right now. Who's the man? We don't know. We do know that Jared Hurd had the mandatory rematch clause that he likely and, and should activate for later this year. And Rafe, with the way that this fight played out, you can be nothing but excited about what that rematch would look like. What kind of adjustments could Hurd make? Will he just have to like empty the tank and go for the early knockout and be like, all right, you, you know, you outlasted me and you outworked me, but what if I just make this a dog fight? Do you have a bigger stick than me? Do you have a bigger dog than me? Do you have a bigger bag than me? F with this. All right. A lot of sticks and bags in this. Yeah. 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 You you know, tease this, right? Find out what type of mess play with that. You have a little bit of fun with the bag. You play with it. You land combinations on the bag. Uh, It'll be fun to see whether J-Rock can be the real. Who's going to come out of that? Same thing with Jermel Charlo, because you're going to see that face-to-face episode that, that we watched. And by the way, if there's a score to win, you know, I always feel like we can judge these who won, right? Who won the talking segment? Who won the fight before the fight? I do feel like Jermel kind of won. You haven't seen it yet. You'll get a chance to see it. Kind of won the trash talking with Tony Harrison. But at the same time, Jermel's an emotional dude, Rafe. Okay? He's a wild card. He's a, he's a all over the place at all times. Yeah, you know him the best. And I have inside information that even in the minutes leading before we filmed that episode, the dude was all over the place emotions-wise. So you don't know if he's going to beat Tony Harrison. If Tony Harrison's just that rock who boxes well and can just outpoint him. But um, it's going to be fun to try to find out who will be the man because the, when the winners of these rematches face off, Rafe, and with Laura lingering as well, we got business. And that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, thing. no, it's real good. Do you, do you think it's wise? Do you like the idea of Hurd going right back? Are you uh, – what is there some – 
Is there an argument, yo, man, maybe maybe you got to move up or maybe maybe don't move up because you're going to have bigger guys and lose that size advantage. Sort of like sort of like Chavez Jr. moving up from middleweight and then all of a sudden looking way more normal and average than he had been, uh, you know, at 160. Yeah, I think it is in this case it is the right move. I think because he says he still makes 154 without trouble, which none of us, you know, can understand because he's so big, then he should stay here. This is what you hope. You hope this wakes him up that look, you can't just rely on leaning on the guy and outlasting him. You're going to have to add more wrinkles. And look, fighters can do that. It's happened, right? Remember when Manny used no- to only throw one punch and then he yeah. became this freakazoid? <laughs> Then he learned, then, then, then Freddie taught him Manila Ice. Yeah, Freddie uh, put the headphones oh, on and they listened to the, to the, but, to the PE audio and then they, <laughs> they, they figured it out. No, you know where I'm going with that, but, uh, I, I can't wait. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, on that card, anything else that happened or do you have another, you have another point on Herd Williams? Cause if you do, I'll oh, let you know. Oh, uh, quickly on, on Herd Williams. I do think that Jared Hurd can expand his game a little bit and, and, and fight slightly different. I actually think that maybe trying to pressure from distance a little bit in a rematch would be smart. Not totally abandon his style, uh, the, the, the infighting, the leaning, the, the war of attrition type stuff. But because Williams seems to clearly have his number in there just in terms of landing clean shots and being able to hit him with things that will hurt Herd. Heard he looked pretty good at times late in the th- I remember late in the third round he he sort of won the last minute almost by by pressuring from you know from distance using his feet a little bit and sort of just using his jab and then coming over the top with his long right that those kind of uh, mixing that up a little bit giving some different looks might one keep him from getting hurt and cut in ways that I think affected his ability to really ramp up the pressure and maybe take over the fight. Uh, and and also just yeah it would be it's also harder for williams to 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 land at that distance so he's heard has an advantage if he can fight that way i don't we don't know if he really can but i'd like to see it yeah those are fair points i'd like to see that as well he did have success at, at, in pockets like you're saying jabbing from the outside and and trying to own that distance uh one more thing i want to take from this fight that i forgot about here rafe um look we were ahead of a movement we were ahead of the game we set trends we set standards we got out there and told the people there's something happening. There's something building here. There's a, uh, a, a, a refractory. What's the word I'm looking for? Refractory period? Yeah. Refractory there's, period. there's periods of refractation without representation going on. We told you Loadwatch 2019 was real, that it was coming, that it was here. And then there were times we were like, man, we can't control this. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, like it just, it just, ah, uh, gross. You know, I'm tired of getting the taste of it. I want the whole load. We got the whole load. But Rafe, something changed, all right? It started with James Harden. When you hear the phrase yeah. load management, what do you think? What, do you, what are your thoughts on that phrase? What is that? Load. Yeah, exactly. He's like, what is that? I don't even know what you're talking about. It continued, of course, in our bonus audio two weeks ago when Barack the boxing bully best from DAZN fame was like, I'm putting an end to this load watch. I'm coming to your house. I'm going to ta- collect all the loads, all right? Rafe, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, okay? We were ahead of the game when this launched. We may be, I may be ahead of it right now when this has gone dry because I don't know if you were listening in the third round during Herd, Herd Williams, but Joe Goosen, color analyst for Fox, had an opportunity to slip right into the quicksand 
and join the movement. But Rafe, he jacked, bro. He jacked. He did. Williams is going for the knockout right here, but he's got to be careful not to shoot everything he's got in this round here. Rafe, there was a, a moment in that. If you're hearing his right voice. Right up to the ledge, and he's like, shoot everything he's got. Let's listen to it one more time. Williams is going for the knockout right here, but he's got to be careful not to shoot everything he's got. Long pause. Long pause in the middle there, Rafe. I think Barack Best, the boxing bully, is in his head. I think James Harden started this. I You're think me Joe Goosen, the the toughest corner man on the planet. If you come and interfere with him during his sixty seconds, he will <laughs> give you the look of death. The number of of referees who have withered from their encounters with Joe Goosen. You're telling me he doesn't want that smoke from bully. Yes, I don't know if he heard our podcast, Rafe, but just like the phenomenon that Load Watch is, right? It happened. We identified it, and then suddenly it was in the head of every boxing commentator. I don't even think they knew what they were doing, Rave. They were just saying it. Now I think since Barack Best spoke it to the world, he spoke it, he received the load, he believed the load. The loads are no more now, Rave. And I feel like everybody just subconsciously knows, don't go there, don't touch it, I'm not getting my hands dirty, I'm done. Oh, there'll be more. Don't worry. You can't, you can't hold, you can't keep it down. You can't, it will bubble up again. Believe me. It was, it was, it was interesting though. It was, it was interesting. I, look, it's going to have to be something you have to follow very, very closely. All right. Thank you. Hey, let's get serious though. Let's, let's talk about the things on this show that we, that we, that we care about. Let's talk math. Let's talk boxing. But first, let the, uh, let, let your boxing opinion be your own. Just consider our influences to be two strangers online. On the internet. In a weird podcast about nothing. About loads. Thank you. Um, on this undercard, Matt Korobov fought, uh, what was this guy's name? Emmanuel, Emmanuel Aleem. Aleem. There were good moments of action. It was a little bit of a sloppy fight. They announced Korobov as the winner. And some people thought that was controversial. Aleem fought well. And then what happened? Like 10 minutes later, they're like, no, we got it wrong. It was really a draw. That look, thing crazy things happen when you put boxing in states where we don't usually see televised boxing, and and the, um, at least this happened. Something weird happened in the first card, first fight of the card. It was not. It, it was sort of a bad harbinger for what might come during the main event. Instead, we got an incredible main event with really responsible scorecards that made sense. If if they're gonna if they're gonna get the the shenanigans out of the way early, that's fine with me. And at least there, it was, you know, Matt Korobov didn't fight great. So it's, it, if he didn't get this win, it's his bad. You have a big dump in your pants. <laughs> All right. Hey, Rafe, let's, let's break down it. What was a, I, I watched it after the fact. What was a, if you want action, this is pretty fantastic. The ESPN card from Tucson, I think lived up to the expectations, at least of violence and action from this doubleheader of rematches. And holy crap, what a bad night for Ghana Boxing Rave. Once highly promising, highly touted, the next seven division champion, Asik Dogbe of Ghana, a darling of this show, went right back to the well, if you will, right back in the hornet's nest against, uh, what's the guy's first name? Is it, uh, Emmanuel Navarrete. Emmanuel Navarrete for that WBO 122 title. He went the distance the first time in a defeat to Dogbe. 
which was back in December, and got his ass kicked. Like, the fight maybe should have been stopped. He was just, it was gruesome. It was brutal. And Rafe, he got his ass kicked again before getting stopped very late in the fight. Wow. Um, same script, sequel, same movie, all over again. Heard it was brutal, watched it, saw it was brutal. Uh, what the hell happened here? Because... I got a lot, I got a lot to say. I got a lot of disrespectful things to say about the Dogway family after this fight. What do you got? <laughs> All kinds of disrespectful things to say. Look, this is a nightmare matchup for Dogway, who is not, who doesn't come in with, he doesn't fight in a particularly, uh, refined style. He's basically a, a physical, fast, powerful, little spark plug and that had been enough when he's fighting at high intensity against the Jesus Cuellar not Cuellar the guy he he beat in Ghana for the 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 great night what a night in Ghana boxing Thai guy no 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 it was the guy that Nonito beat in a 12 round war anyway he was no nobody no great shakes but still getting him out of there in five rounds was a nice win for Dog Bay then of course Magdaleno a good, good boxer who was outboxing him for large parts of that fight. But again, Dogbay eventually sort of was just too much for him physically. And Dogbay landed a couple of those shots in exchanges that turned around the, the Magdaleno fight against Navarrete. They just didn't have the same effect. And he spent the rest of the fight just getting his ass handed to him. He couldn't get inside that reach. Navarrete is what, five, seven inches taller than Dog Bay, knew how to fight inside, knew how to check, throw these big sort of, sort of slow, but accurate and well-timed looping check hooks that would just catch Dog Bay trying to rush in all the time. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how Dogbe is supposed to get inside of that reach. I, I guess you're supposed to, he's supposed to jab his way in, but his, you better get his get own inside, right? What you better f and get inside. You better, but what it was. But then when you get inside, Navarrete knows how to handle himself in there too. He's just, he's just, the 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 size difference and the skill difference is too much for for Dogbe to overcome. Wow, um, Rafe, he was given up five inches in height. And eight inches in reach. So is Navarrete a freak of nature at 122 in almost a Diego Corrales type way? Or is, or is Dog Bay considered small for the division? Is it both at the same time? I think both. Dog Bay is small. He's shorter than Magdaleno. He's, he looks to be like 5'3 or 5'4. Man, somebody said he was 5'2 on Twitter. He's 5'2 he on Box Rec. All right. He is a swole little man. I almost, I, look, uh, we, 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 we'll get a, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. I wouldn't be, I, I could see, I don't know if, if he could take the, any weight off. If he get down to 118, just, you don't want to meet any more of these tall guys, man, cause it, that ain't good. Well, Rafe, did you see after the fight, he's talking about wanting to move up in weight? Yeah. Like, that's oh, not the answer here. One, you just, look, if you watch this fight, if you watch either fight, it looks like there's two divisions between them two. Like, it really does. It look, the, the gap in size is giant. And we're talking about 5-2 jacked dog bay wanting to go up to 126 where they're all killers. Rafe, he was outclassed and outbeaten bat. Like, yeah, he had moments where he'd explode in with a shot. But look, this fight was a little sloppier than the first one, I thought. For everything good Navarrete was doing, and he switched stances at times, and he was stinging Dog Bay with uppercuts, catching him coming in. He was even sloppy at times, the times he thought he could go for a finish. And it just didn't matter because the 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 size difference was massive. 
So, Rafe, now we have to do those cynical first takey type takes and be like, is Dog Bay ever really that good to begin with? What did we miss? Because remember his last fight before the Navarrete ones against Hidenori Otaki, that ESPN fight in Glendale, Arizona, and he was pretty much losing on the cards and getting beat, and he rallies for this knockout, and we're like, I love me some Isaac Dog Bay. Wasn't that, that a first-round knockout? Was that the first-round one? Wasn't there the – which fight was it where he was – Magdaleno. All right, I'm 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 all over the place here. You know when you don't sign into BoxRec, you can't see the what round the fight ended. Then you try to sign in, and it's just it's just not worth your time because you go through. It takes you about a half hour to track down your password, and then you go back to sign in. It doesn't work. That's the BoxRec is the worst. Anyway, Rafe, my whole point here is um, I got a lot of bad things to say. I'm going to give ESPN, though, credit on the broadcast for getting all over Dog Bay and his dad and their corner and their teachings because, Rafe, they nailed it. The whole fact that Dog Bay in his career up to this point has pretty much seemed to just rely on explosion, toughness, mm-hmm. power, swollness, and just go out and out athletic and out rugged people. And if you're outclassing him at times, he don't care. He's going to put his head down. He's going to knock you out. But this was an unwinnable battle against a tough, long, hard-hitting guy, and they had nothing. They had no plan B. They had no plan A and a half, Rafe. They had nothing. So in one case, he's only 24. So you go, look, same thing with Julian Williams. It's one loss, but now it's two. But don't panic. But in the other side, Rafe, he seems to be lacking any idea of how to clinch, any idea of how to adjust, any idea how to do anything but boldly leap forward and throw big bombs. And damn, you got to look at a lot of things because, yeah, only 24, but your dad left you out there for a total of, thir- of what, 23 rounds to get your ass kicked where in each fight after about three or four at most of those rounds, we knew the fight was over and you weren't going to rally and, 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 and find magic. Rafe, he let his son get his ass kicked, including moments in this rematch where he's saying in the corner and threatening that he's going to stop the fight and then never goes through with it. And then his son goes out there and gets his ass kicked again. Rafe, I know his dad has no formal training experience and this is one of those father-son things. What if you're Isaac Dogbay? And you want to have a good night for going to boxing again in your life? You got to get serious. You got to drop your dad, and you got to move on. That's probably true. Um, this was look. You're right. It was. It was to me. I wonder. Now maybe you know. Again, maybe Doug Bay was just never that good, and 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 not worth the investment but it seems like to me both in terms of his dog bay's own team and whatever investment top rank may have had in him or may have value they may have seen in him this was like someone could have someone could have came in here and said hey isaac we don't have to fight navarrete immediately you don't have to go back into this extremely difficult style matchup for you that looks like it's totally you have no hope in and so whether on the management side, someone could have stepped in and, and nipped that in the bud, got him some other fights, because I think Dog Bay fights credibly and maybe could beat guys like TJ Doheny or even Danny Roman. I think they're both better boxers, but the size that he doesn't, not facing the same size, size disadvantage. And I think that he would stand a chance to get in and land the kind of shots that he needs to, to win those fights, or they would at least be competitive. But instead, they let him dive right. What's that? Uh, I was wondering if you were with me. I lost you there for a second. You're back. I'm sorry. I'm right here with you, baby. And they let him go right back into that Navarrete fight. I think that was a mistake management-wise. And then once that fight is made, it's a mistake, a a really unforgivable mistake 
within his team, with his dad, everyone working to get him ready for that fight, that they didn't appear to do anything to give him a better chance to 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 beat Navarrete. It was really just go back in there, try the same thing you did six months ago, just harder. That that, that that's insane, and it looked insane. And it, and the for for as much action and leather landed as there are there were in these two fights between Navarrete and Dogbe, they were never fun fights because yes. it was just sad it was like watching a a guy way too short just run into a into a pole over and over again it was crazy it was just like, like Yusef Mack no no um Rafe <laughs> uh it, I mean look there there was a certain stubbornness that reminded me of Shane Mosley it's like lost to Vernon Forrest it's a bad style matchup for him went back to the well lost to Winky Wright it's a bad style matchup for him went back to the well he was certainly more competitive in both of those rematches but still man this was sounded boring. Heard everybody talk about it the next day. Still sounded boring. Okay, uh, and it wasn't boring. But I hear what you're saying. For 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 an action fight, it was tough to watch from a frustration standpoint because now we're not only doing what we just did, which is the was he ever that good enough to begin with? But I think we're mad at him for not being who we thought he could be, or not be, or not being smart enough to avoid this type of potential train wreck. And look, maybe look, he's only 24. Maybe he comes right back, wins a fight, looks great, then goes after a weaker title challenger and, and wins a title. But to talk about moving up in weight when you're five foot two and you don't seem to have the skill, look, see if you can cut down to one eighteen and see if you can just bully these 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 base tards. Because uh, maybe it's right, Rafe. Maybe I'm mad at Isaac Dogbay, Grandpa, that he's not the guy we wanted, inhaled, and and loved him to be. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe that's. And we I, obviously, we especially, I think a lot of folks in boxing, Bill. Of wins, he looked exciting and fun, and there was this chance that, even though you could see some of his technical flaws, you also thought, "Huh, maybe this guy can just overcome it at this at this weight, yeah. and and is good enough, is powerful enough, and, and wild something. man enough." Yeah, let me say for some things, we thought right. we had a new Manny Pacquiao, possibly, but, right? But 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 the other thing here is. We, we should, although, it, so that makes sense why we're kind of uh, obsessing over Dog Bay and, and his side of this fight. Yo, we also gotta give some credit to this Navarrete character. Now, we will see him, I think, in other big fights at 122, but I do think he's the best at this division. He had that, the, like his, the power that he appears to have, the skill inside and outside. I like him a lot. I, I said this yes. before. I like him better than the rest of these guys at 122. I think he's good. He, he, he maybe maybe we have maybe Dog Bay has helped us discover a real talent. I agree with you on that. Tough Mexican fighter and has some technical things going well for him. A little sloppy at times, but if he just rides that stiff jab, it's going to be hard for any of these boxers, Rafe, to get in on him, to get inside on him, to have success. I mean, he seems to have something working for him. He's a tough tough guy too. Uh, fire, want to see him more. Want to see some more business involved in this guy. I don't know, uh, what Top Rank has rights to, but they have always worked well with Fernando Beltran of, uh, what's the name of that promotion? Is that Zanfer Zanfer Promotions? Promotions in, in, in Mexico, uh, which I'm assuming because Fernando Beltran was ringside that he was, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just shooting things in the dark. I'm just shooting blanks in the dark, right? All right. But, uh, hey, let's talk about that main event quick because we're going to be pressed for time if we don't get rolling. Um, you know this game, Rafe. I was excited to see what Francisco Vargas Bandito could do in a rematch with Miguel Burchell, whether they could produce sex, produce magic. They did produce action, but exactly what you predicted 
largely one-sided action, and it seemed inevitable that Burchelt was just going to wear this scar tissue man down and 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 stop him and beat him, and that's ultimately what he did, Rafe. Congratulations. Thank you. I know this game. No, I actually thought that that Vargas looked better than I expected. Really? I, I mean, he was he uh, he landed shots that seemed like they that that Burchelt felt that he stopped and was like, hmm. I tasted that in ways that I hadn't seen him. Yeah, he tasted. I don't know if he tasted the whole load, but he definitely uh, uh, was. Uh, he seemed like there was he, a couple of Vargas's shots gave him pause, which was more than I expected, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, the idea at 27 years old, Burchell title holder at 130, has seemed to prove. Look, Salido retired. Now Burchell has stopped Vargas twice, stopped Mickey Roman. Out of that action group that used to populate HBO, he's proved he's the best of them. But can he prove that he's the best of 130? Or when he steps up against one of these more athletic guys, like a Tank Davis, like a Lomachenko, who I know is at 35, but like, would he just get destroyed, Rafe? Or are you looking at a guy who, if he can get himself matched correctly, could, could really be a player? I don't think that he, I don't think that Burchelt looks unathletic or like some kind of banger to me. He's long. He, you look at the span of his shoulders is kind of insane for the, for this division at 130. He is, and he moves quick. I, I, he might not be as explosive as, as a guy like Javante Davis. And, and we don't know. J- Davis may have power that just wipes people out at this. We yeah. don't know. Uh, but man, I wouldn't count him out. I, I think that. A lot of people would probably, if they fought, if they made that fight next, Javante Davis and Miguel Burchelt, a lot of people will be picking Burchelt, uh, to win that fight. He, I don't know if he would be favored just because of the, the politics of the sport, but then he would be a very popular underdog pick. I'm, I'm with you on that. I want to see more. I want to see him at the highest level. I want to see what we have in this guy. Is he just the most skilled of the bangers or can he hang and bang, if you will? All right. Hey, before we continue on with the show, Let's hear a word, right, from our friends, from our sponsors, from all of them. Enjoy. And we're back. All right, lightning round latest news here, Rafe. It's official. Cop sources came through. Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman will be a July 20th Fox pay-per-view from Las Vegas with the quirk, the add-on here, that on regular Fox, on the undercard as sort of a launch pad to the pay-per-view, you're going to get 168 title holder, Caleb Plant defending against Subway Man himself, Mike Lee, who's going to move down from light heavyweight to try to make 68 here, Rafe. What are your thoughts on this overall? Uh, that's a, that's a great, uh, wedding present for Caleb Plant. I don't know. Um, you know, you, you hide some garbage on the, on a pay-per-view undercard because oh, you're hoping that people you. will buy the main event. That fight is garbage. I don't ever wow. care about it. I don't ever want to talk about it. We'll have to, but it's trash. It is garbage, I don't want to see that ever, it's, man. It's flashy I'm sorry. trash. I want a jack right now. It's flash just, trash. I'm, it's flashy trash. I want to see what Mike Lee, who hasn't fought anybody and is somehow famous off of what? Going Nothing. To Notre He's not Dame? famous to anyone, Brian. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody other than boxing fans know that this person was a real boxer in the Subway commercial. Nobody even remembers it. How did people that even happen? Because like, oh, we only. I, I understand the 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 point people made at 
nobody and he's never going to be really anybody. He's not very good. Nobody thinks he's good, but you put him in a subway commercial because he's a white American from Notre Dame. Great. But he wasn't even a famous white American. No real sports fans gave a damn at the time. They thought he was just an actor in a subway commercial. Nobody cares now. Nobody cared then. I still don't care. Let him go into this fight. Let him get beat. I don't care. Now, it's not like Subway always makes the best decisions. Didn't they promote that child porn of porn guy for a while as the face of subway jared for i mean a look, while for like years yeah. i mean they didn't know you know what it's he just was like, getting into but. remember that guy who that that tommy zibikowski remember that guy who was he was an nfl player he boxed in during the during his off time that guy would have been fine in the subway commercial at least somebody knew who he was mike lee who's mike lee like some white guy from Notre Dame. like he's just ridiculous anyway he's gonna cash himself out i don't know how he can make 68 Caleb Plant, white on white crime. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Pac Thurman, Rafe, I'm fired up. We've, we've already talked about it that nauseum, but I'm fired up. Cop sources came through. Gun to your head right now. Who That's wins? not how sources work, Brian. So you stop, stop that crap. You don't, you don't, you don't use the sources to, to predict the news and then let the news catch up to your scoop. That's the opposite order. Rafe, I'm, I'm glad the sources dropout. came through. All right. Get off my back. All right. Uh, other news. We'll talk about that fight, obviously, a lot as we get closer. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya tweeting at Errol Spence being like, yeah, bro, we want Canelo to fight you. Let's do this. Of course you do, Oscar. You want this guy two weight classes down who's yet to really prove that he's the best welterweight in the world, although we're all Team Spence. Team Spencer, it don't make sense, man. Right, Team Spencer, it don't make sense. I got arrowed by murder, but uh we're not going to see this, right? I mean, Canelo's on DAZN. You can't... I know we asked Joe Markovsky, can you do two network pay-per-views? They don't even do pay-per-view. I'm not convinced it could actually happen, Rafe. You care? No? Yeah, I care. Look, let's explore the possibility because that's a, that's the fight I would get pumped for. I don't, I, I know More than once? it's Canelo. It would be, I would pump it two times for that fight. Wow, wow. He pumps it more than once. That's right, Brian. I would pump it more than once for Canelo Spence. And yeah, is it Canelo once again going back into Floyd's bag of tricks, finding the dangerous younger fight? I don't even know if Spence is that much younger than Canelo because Canelo is just ageless and has been fighting since he's 13. I'm going to keep moving the, 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 the goalpost on that. By the, by, by the end of the year, Canelo will have started his pro career at age eight, I think. Anyway, That's he's had a long That's anyway, racist, there, but, but but it's the it's the book of Floyd, right? Find the guy before he gets to the point where he's a real dangerous threat to you. Beat him then. That you know, there is something to that right there. That that is very interesting. As we saw Mikey do that to Mike, uh, Mikey get loose to Spence before he was a full fledged welterweight, really welterweight, and it, you know the skill was too wide. That's interesting. Check it. Check out for more. Check out in my favorites folder right now. Yes, thank you. Um, hey, shout out to Richard Dwyer though. Shout out, shout out to the man, right? He's been always, fueling the show for a long time. Let me pump him more than once. There you go, Rich. All right. Uh, Ray, final bit of news. Just tell me if you care straight up. Um, Showtime, by the way, I'm hoping for more big Showtime fights, but there's even more rumors that a potential Sean Porter, Errol Spence unification is going to Fox this summer. Not confirmed. There's rumors on the internet. Check, check Mike Coppinger's timeline, but Showtime did announce, I think it's in June in Houston, Jermall Charlo defending his middleweight title against contender season five winner and former Boxino competitor Brandon the Cannon Adams. Is this a, a certifiable, viable Showtime main event? I mean, I guess it is by Showtime standards in 2019. Oh, God. Athletes sleep with a lot of women, and that was 2013. But in 2019, Showtime's got to start moving some product. They will this weekend, though, with Deontay Wilder. We will get to that right about now, Rafe. It's time. Weekend preview. And, of course, this Saturday on Showtime is the big one, the heavyweight clash. 
WBC champion Deontay Wilder against Dominic Brazil. Look, we know what happens. If Wilder loses, he got beat with, by a man with titties. But is it, is it in, should we, should, should we put a halt on Boobs Brazil as a nickname until he loses, Rafe? No, why? He, if a man got boobs, you can call him Boobs Brazil. Right. He, 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 look, Tyson Fury said it in a recent interview. He's the, these big fellas, I believe he called them fat fellas, but these big fellas can fight. The fat fellas can fight for some reason. All fat people can fight. <laughs> All fat people. That's, that's good news for us, Brian, because we are getting pretty heavy. Oh, God. By the way, uh, that was sound you gave me. I got more of it from another I want to say sit down, but it's more of a lay down as, uh, Michelle Joy Phelps of Behind the Gloves went to, uh, visit Tyson Fury's bed. Those interviews are creepy, right? They're creepy. Not the greatest visual, but I, I guess you gotta hustle as a, as a journalist and, and do the things within the professional bounds of our profession to get access. I mean, he'll do things that other people won't do. We know that, but a uh, funny joke about the big fat people though. Oh, wait. Was she a great big fat person? Yeah, she was a big girl, sir. She was a big girl. Uh, uh, all right, Rafe, uh, let's get to it. Here comes Dominic Brazil. Enjoy. Here comes trouble. It's Dominic Brazil on the CBS Sports Podcast. Fight week. Fired up. Big man. How... How fired up are you to finally get Deontay Wilder in this ring, Brooklyn, Saturday showtime? Oh, man, I'm so excited. I, I, I've been biting at the bit. I've been, I'm sorry. I've been chomping at the bit for some time now. And, and when I you know, I got off that plane at JFK, I was like, yes, fight week is finally here. It's only a couple of days away. Um, I know we've got some festivities going on with media workouts and press conferences, but I can't wait for Saturday night and that bell to ring um, and, and, and the leather to be exchanged. Uh, it's it's been uh, it's been way too long that I've been waiting. It's been a long camp, and I'm I'm super excited. All right, fans love heavyweight boxing because you get action. You guys bring action. Fans love size. You guys bring that. But I think even more, Dom. Tell me if I'm wrong. Fans like to feel that the fighters themselves just straight up dislike each other. That this isn't a sport. This is a real fight for manhood. What's the 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 level of displeasure between you guys at this moment in your eyes? Yeah, definitely. Usually when you go into a boxing match, there's a lot of sportsmanship going on. And, you know, you're two individuals trying to compete in, in a match. But in this situation, it, it's definitely a grudge match. It's, it's revenge. It's, it's, it's a vengeance. It's, 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 it's personal, man. We've got some, some business on the outside of the ring that we need to score off from from. And man against man, we finally get each other one on one in the ring. Um, you couldn't ask for a better match. And I, and I plan on making this man pay for everything he said, everything he's going to say, everything he's done. Um, and, and he's going to pay for it. I'm going to punish him. I know that there's an incident that spark that seemed to spark this feud. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it a, a hotel lobby brawl of some sorts? Can you give us the insight on what went down? Yeah, it was a, it was a hotel lobby scuffle, man. I wouldn't call it a brawl because it was, uh, you know, it was me getting punched in the back of the head, a bunch of individuals running and scattering away. When, when, when I get back to my feet to fight, um, you know, it, it was my, my myself and my wife, my team, my kids. We're coming down to the hotel lobby in, in Alabama after my fight. I fought against Izu. Um, you know, I came down to the hotel lobby and I uh, went down to get some food. I had my wife's hand and my, my kid's hand. We're walking through the, you know, the lobby to go to the diner. And, uh, here's Deontay Wilder coming straight towards for me. And you th- I can tell he had this look on his face like something was wrong. Um, so he confronts me. He's yelling all kinds of belligerent shit in my face, pointing his finger in my face. And I tell him this is not the time or the place. My wife and kids are here. And he pretty much said in so much words, f- the kids, f- your wife. 
Um, and at that point, it, it now becomes, you know, it now becomes a scuffle. He pushes me, I get ducked away. And at the same time, mind you, he didn't just come by himself. He came with, you know, a good 10, 15, 20 individuals behind him, backing him. Um, things, things got scattered, man. My uh, trainers got pushed to the floor. They got pushed to the side. I got punched in the back of the head by his, you know, what I know now is his, his younger brother, uh, who also didn't have the nerve to stick around. You know, you, you know, you're going to hit somebody in the back of the head and then run off in the opposite direction. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's something that I don't think Wilder understands and he's trying to defend it. Like I did something wrong when they, they started it all and I plan on finishing it all. Wow. Wow. There's some, there's, there's some extra layers in there. This isn't just two guys trash talking. I mean, even if it was two guys trash talking and it turned into a fight, you're six, seven, you're a pro boxer. You can handle yourself, but how legitimately nervous were you in this situation knowing that your wife and kids, you know, could have gotten sort of tangled up in this? Yeah, not that I was necessarily nervous. I was more flustered in the fact that we got, you know, uh, kind of disbarked from each other. I, my wife was on one side of the room. I was on the other. My kids were with some random strangers in the corner. Um, there was just a, there, there was a lot of nonsense that, that shouldn't have happened. Um, this never should happen in any sport. Definitely shouldn't happen in boxing because we're supposed to be, you know, uh, uh, characters of our art. You know, we understand that we're dangerous individuals, but at the same time, we only use it when we have to. That, that was nor the time nor the place uh, for something like that to go down. Um, so to say that I was nervous, you know, uh, is probably the wrong terminology. Uh, definitely upset and flustered to the fact that I got separated from my wife and kids because of pushing and shoving and, and things like that. Uh, have you been able to sort of think about it deeply, a psychological deep dive, and, and try to understand why Wilder may have done that? Was he trying to plant a seed? Was he trying to intimidate you? Why do you think that went down? No, I think he just doesn't have the, the common sense to, to put two and two together. I think uh, his, his brother might have told him some things. Uh, him and him and uh, his, his brother and myself had some, some words discussed ringside while he was fighting for his fight. But it wasn't out of any disrespect. It was the fact that my, my buddy Gerald Washington was fighting him that night. I was giving Gerald Washington instructions. His brother wanted to say that, you know, I needed to shut my mouth. And I told him I'm not going to shut my mouth. And, and uh, he was upset with what I was saying and how I was saying it. And, of course, I'm sure he probably ran back to tell his brother. Brazil was ringside saying this, saying that, yada, yada, yada. Um, instead of Wilder being, a, you know, an educated individual and a civilized individual and saying, you know, it, it is what it is, and that's, that's boxing, he took it a little step, you know, a big step forward and decided to want to confront. I think at the time he, wa he wanted me to, back, you know, kind of back down and apologize or whatever it may be. I wasn't in the wrong, nor have I been in the wrong. Uh, I'm not that individual to do something like that. So in this situation, uh, uh, things got escalated, uh, things got out of hand. Uh, Wilder shouldn't have came to me and approached me like that in the lobby. And now, because of it, he's going to have to pay, you know, May 18th. He was going to pay anyways. I was going to have sportsmanship behind it. But now when I put, you know, I put this beating on him, you know, Saturday night and I hurt him and I punished him, I'm not going to shake the man's hand. I'm not going to greet him. I'm not going to tell people I feel sorry for him because he's hurt or whatever that may be. It is what it is. He's got his, he's got his, his karma's coming his way. How how are you able to use the the extra layer of intensity and dislike in this? You know, for some fighters, it, it could be a negative. It could get them to get out of their game. Are you able to channel that into uh, the right motivation, the right sort of ruthlessness to, to, to set yourself up for this fight? Yeah, you said it great right on the head. Um, it, it's helped me be motivated. It's helped me carry through those hard, tough days in camp. Um, it's what gets me up in the morning. It's what keeps me eating the right food and staying focused and, and, and honing in on my craft. Um, not that I wasn't motivated before, but it's just added that extra little niche on top of, you know, what, I, what I've had. Um, it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's bittersweet because of the fact that, you know, I've always had the, uh, the athletic ability and, and the, 
the, uh, the mental skew to, to understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, now I have just that added extra motivation to do a little bit more, run an extra mile, you know, you know, jump rope an extra minute or, you know, shadow box or hit the bag or spar, you know, spar 15 rounds, even though I know I'm only fighting 12 round fight. Um, it, it's giving me that added edge. Yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out on Saturday night. Now, when you hear Wilder hype up this fight, sometimes he gets, um, I don't know, under, under caution, the people, the critics get upset when he starts to say things like, I've got killing power. I wanna, I wanna get a hit on my record one day and kill a man in a ring. And in the press conference to announce your fight in Brooklyn, he kind of crossed some of those same lines about, I'm gonna put you in a coffin. Sometimes it's just trash talk, but 2019 people get a little sensitive. You're the guy who's gonna be across the ring from him. Were you upset at all with some of those death defying statements he made? Yeah, definitely. I'm super excited. You know, uh, you, you never want to hear an individual. I don't care what sport it is. I mean, especially in a sport like boxing, um, we definitely have the ability to put, you know, put an individual in a, in a bad state of mind or, or definitely hurt an individual physically. Um, I don't think he understands what he's saying. Um, he's just not, he's, he's not all there. If, if that, if that makes sense. Um, but you know, it, does it fluster me? Does it get me mad? Does it, you know, does it, does it bother me? No, you can say and do all you want to do. You've got to do it in the ring. We've, we've knocked out individuals. I've hit individuals with shots and I'm like, Oh man, dear God, hopefully, you know, he's going to be okay from this. Um, uh, but that's just the, the, the ring, my ring gentlemanship. And that's me being a gentleman and having to care for life. Um, like I said earlier, there's no way you can get behind a heavyweight champ that, 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 that feels like he wants to put harm upon an individual that they can end somebody's life or put them in a coma or whatever it may be. That just doesn't make any sense. That's not, that's not the barbaric state of mind that, uh, any world champion should be in. Yeah, fair, fair enough on that. I, what I've really liked about the All Access series documenting your training camp, Deontay's ahead of this fight, is the focus on you, how it's it's been a pretty interesting project, if you will, where you were a team sports guy, you were a college football quarterback, and you entered in a system designed late in your life, uh, you know, late in your physical development, at least in, in your early 20s, designed to turn said athletes into boxers. And you're 33 years old, but... This is still relatively quick to see you turn it around, get on the title level. We all know you fought Anthony Joshua three years ago for the belt. How has this 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 journey been for you to pick up a sport so late yet really look like you belong? You know, pretty quickly here. Yeah, you know, early in my career it was tough. Um, I had a lot to learn and, and not not so much time to learn it. Uh, but I've been on the uh, on the expressway for some time now. Uh, my amateur career was probably roughly about 18 to 24 months. I uh, became a U.S. Olympian, fought in the 2012 London Games, um, and I did. Yeah, I came from a team sport in football, um, and, and it helped out very well when I went into All-American Heavyweight, which was also at the time was designed almost as a, as a team sport. Yeah, we were getting in there competing as a one-on-one in boxers and the amateurs, um, but we learned all together. We had a, you know, a classroom setting. We had a weight room setting. We had, you know, so the transition made it a little bit easier um, being, being part of All-American Heavyweights. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when I became pro, I had to take everything upon myself and become, you know, you know, become uh, isolated and and focused on what I had and my my task in mind. Um, and it's you know, it's been 10 years now uh, that I've been doing boxing, and uh, almost going on 11 this year. Um, so I've I've been on the uh, on the express. I've I've learned and I picked up the the task of learning how to box and the fundamental skills 
um, as fast as I can and as quick as I can, and I think I've done a darn good job doing it. Yeah, I mean, you, you come across as a cerebral fighter, despite being big, despite having power, despite having a good chin. I can certainly see the, the quick adjustments you've made from the mental side of this game, from the strategy. So when we look back at that loss to Anthony Joshua in England three years ago, man, how much have you even evolved from that point in your own eyes? Oh, man, that's why I say it's going to be one hell of a fight Saturday night because I've, I've evolved. Uh, leaps and bounds since uh, the summer of 2016. Uh, you know, and I showed a little bit in my last couple of fights, becoming a WC mandatory. Um, I've restructured. I've, I've I've added Virgil Hunter and made a, a team change and, and and kind of moved my camp from Southern California to Northern California in the Bay Area. Um, that also was you know a great move. Um, it's one of those situations where uh, I'm I'm excited to see my darn self to see what happens come uh, you know come Saturday night. All right, you said Virgil Hunter. We, 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 you know, we, we have fun with him. We call him the careless whisperer on this show because he just sort of gets in your ear, delivers that smooth jazz, but yet, you know, a real backbone to it. That guy means no business. What's that relationship been like for you? You know what? The, 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 my relationship with Virgil Hunter has been great. Uh, you know, I was able to uh, learn a lot of things in the last nine, 10 weeks that I've been with him. Um, he did a great job of restructuring my fundamental skills and, it kind of bring me back to the basics, but it gives me an understanding of why I'm back to the basics. Not just doing it because you think that's the way to do it, but because I, I forgot to learn this or I learned it, but I didn't learn it in the right, uh, the right magnitude. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the adjustments being, uh, you know, shown on, on scale come Saturday night. Uh, but there are some things that, you know, that are in the game plan for Saturday night's event, um, uh, that I'm not, you know, I'm not, at liberty to disclose as of right now because it's part of my game plan, but I'm looking forward to uh, being the bigger, stronger, faster a athlete in the ring. Uh, how much are you looking at Wilder as as still a raw, unfinished project in the sense that, yeah, pretty much everybody outside of Tyson Fury that's been in there with him, he stopped them, but along the way, man, they're winning rounds. He's looking like a helicopter at times. Uh, how much of an opening do you think there is for a guy who can come in with a chin? with some technique and just straight up do it, not not the crazy barbaric way, but do it the clinical way against him. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of Wilder, never have been. I can't see, uh, you know, I can't stand the fact that he's been the heavyweight champ of WBC for the last four years doing some of the crazy windmill, non-fundamental boxing skills that uh, we've seen and he's portrayed. Um, you, know, uh, you know, he's matching himself against, against myself, like you're saying, strong chin, punching power, been there, proven to be, be down on the canvas, get back up and finish the fight. Um, he's done some, he's done some good things by knocking some people out, but in a sense, you really like to call that luck. It's not really luck when you consistently drop a right hand and continue to knock people out. But if that's the only tool that you have, um, you're going to have to dig a lot deeper than that, man. Come, come fight this Saturday. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of myself because I learn from every fight. Um, you know, it's one of those things. If I did the jab well this round, uh, you know, this, this time around, next time I fight, I'm going to use the jab a little bit better. If I threw a right hand combination or a left hook and, Whatever it may be, I, I want to I want to get better and better every fight. I never want to be the same fighter I was six months ago, a month ago, two days ago. Um, I need to learn something every day in the sport of boxing, and I need to get better and better. And uh, you know, like I said earlier, you know, I've only been doing this for about ten years, uh, but I've learned a lot real fast, and I, I'm willing to learn a lot more. Uh, when you've seen Wilder in his toughest fights. The, the, look, people forget. I know he knocked down Fury twice, but they were going at it after Fury got up in round twelve. We've also seen Wilder in trouble a bit against Luis Ortiz. Can he be stopped? Is there is there is there a chin to be hit there? I mean, how do you grade his his punch resistance and his toughness? I think Wilder can be stopped, and, and Wilder will be stopped on on this Saturday. Um, I'm going to prove to the world that 
the heavyweight champ is not an untouchable individual. He he was hurt and flustered against uh, Ortiz. He was hurt and flustered against Wilder. I'm sorry, against Washington. He was hurt and flustered against Fury. Um, those guys just didn't put the pedal to the metal. Maybe they didn't have the confidence in themselves. Maybe they didn't realize they had him hurt. Uh, but I'm a guy that when I smell blood, I get him out of there. There hasn't been a guy that's been hurt in front of me that I haven't had a chance to knock out, if not put down on the canvas. Um, when I tell you I'm going to put my hands and put some leather on Wilder's face, uh, it's going to be from the opening bell. I'm going to figure out whether he likes it or he doesn't like it uh, from the, 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 the opening bell. It's going to be a war. Oh, this is going to be fun. You got me fired up. All right, in closing, Dom, we know you, you play quarterback, University of Northern Colorado. What, what do you got? Tell us about your game. What kind of style were you? I mean, you're six foot seven. What, what kind of quarterback were you? You know, I was the type of quarterback that had to get the job done. If you needed me to rush for 30 yards, I'm going to rush for 30 yards. We're going to run the option. We're out of the shotgun. Um, I was all around just a type of athletic quarterback. At the same time, if I needed me to be a, a pocket press type of quarterback, that's what I was did. I had a big arm. Um, I think my longest pass that I, I put the ball in the air before the you know, receiver caught it and ran was about 72 yards. Um, that can continue to run for another 18 yards for a touchdown. Um, there's uh, situations where if I, I needed to get away from a blitz or, or, or a lineman forgot to block and I needed to scramble or break off a tackle, I could pick up a, you know, a good 15, 20 yard rush. Um, I, I think I've been the, uh, one of the more, uh, uh, athletic quarterbacks standing at 6'7, 250 pounds. Wow. Hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll see the stiff arm come out Saturday night in Brooklyn on Showtime. Great talking with you, Dominic Brazil. Best of luck this weekend, man. Oh, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on the show. All right, special thanks again to Dominic Brazil. It's time to talk about this fight on Showtime. Look, it seems obvious they've used a lot of their budget for this fight. It's do you care time, but we're going to start right off the top of the pops here in Brooklyn against Dominic Brazil. We know that they do have history. There's an all-access series right now on Showtime. Kind of detailing some of that. They had that fight in the hotel lobby before one of Wilder's fights in Alabama. What was it? Wilder's brother, who's a cruiserweight, threw a punch at at, at Dominic. And now there's a lawsuit pending. Uh, It is what it is right there. So there's some bad blood here, Rafe. What kind of fight will it be? What are Dominic Brazil's chances to A, survive 12 rounds against him or B, win this fight? I don't think he wants to go into that fight or should, if he wants to win the fight, I don't think that he should go in trying to survive 12 rounds, trying to outbox Deontay Wilder, even if he can outbox Deontay Wilder over four rounds, over six rounds, over whatever. We've seen even Tyson Fury fighting a a very good fight, outboxing Deontay Wilder throughout, still gets dropped twice and almost doesn't make it through that fight. So... Wilder is going to catch up to you, and he will catch up to, to to Dominic Brazil if he just goes in there and boxes conservatively. I think he's got to go in there, make it sloppy, make it physical, maybe try and smother Wilder a little bit because Wilder, I don't think, knows anything about fighting inside, and 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 try and get to him first, land something, just go crazy, go out there and and throw it, throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at him because there's a chance that. You can draw him into something, catch him. This is heavyweight boxing. Wilder's, we've seen him rattled several times. We've seen him badly hurt a few times. You got a chance if you can hurt him. Otherwise, you're just gonna play out the clock until he catches you and puts you to sleep. Yeah, Brazil's six foot seven, so the size in order to equal Wilder, and he certainly seems heftier, is, is in his favor here. The problem with Brazil ultimately, Rafe, is he makes a good B-side for these type of fights. He went in there to England, challenged Anthony Joshua a few years back for the belt. 
took took a beating, fought with fought with heart, got up off the canvas, seemed to fight, provide cr- credible opposition. But that's ultimately the problem. Despite a twenty and one record, he's not elite. He's not on that level. If our super elites right now are Fury, Wilder, and Joshua, and our sub elites are guys like Luis Ortiz, maybe a Pavetkin, he's even below that. He's he's sort of a He's not an average heavyweight. He seems to be better than that. I mean, he's on a run. He he had a fun knockout where he came back against Carlos Negron. He's been able to stop the Eric Molina types, the Amir Mansour types, the Fred Cassie type, those type of guys. But he's he's a step down in the end, Rafe. So he's big enough to maybe catch Wilder with a punch, give him a bit of a scare, make him do a dance. But he's certainly not good enough to outbox. He's not durable enough to last 12 rounds against Wilder's killing power. So... This is a very expensive Showtime fight to keep him off the zone and keep him off pay-per-view and push him in front of you. It'll be fun. It'll be entertaining. There's bad blood. Really, we got to be honest, not selling you anything here. Wilder's fun against anyone, Rafe. This one, out of the, you know, the uh, the varieties that we've seen in the past of Wilder, will be pretty fun. But we just saw him against Fury, and this just ain't on that level, Rafe. No, of course. Look, the entire heavyweight division is is disappointing fans left and right this year and you could argue that somehow by by some bizarre twist of fate Deontay Wilder ends up having the 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 highest ranked highest rated opponent of all of the uh, big three heavyweights and he's fighting a guy who no one gives a chance and really in Dominic Brazil uh it's it's sad man there's only one honestly there's only one heavyweight I consider myself like a fan of today and that's Dillian White because he's the he's out here fighting real fights time after time after time after time I'm a Dillian White guy now the rest of y'all whatever you guys you wanted to be big stars and basically turn boxing into the NBA well this is what you're doing all we care about is the weird wars of words between you and your Twitter fights and garbage like that and you're in some garbage fights at least the NBA has playoffs that eventually come around and force the best to fight the best instead y'all are just going to jerk us all off all right speaking of that Tyson that's gross Rafe I mean that's I don't I don't get down for that on the show they're just in a bad way it from everywhere yeah yeah I don't do that um uh all right so if Wilder wins this right Rafe uh, to reference back to the Tyson Fury interview with Michelle Phelps he says in there no, I want to fight Wilder again in 2019. I don't not believe I don't believe a damn thing that ever. Are you comes calling bullish against Tyson Fury? I don't Because he's got a message for you. I'm Ray Charles to the bullshit. <laughs> I don't I don't take notice of bullshit. Ray, just do what I got to do. Get in there, kick ass, sea bass. Kick ass, sea bass. Uh, is that Sebastian Telfair? They show he don't care, Ray. He don't care about you not believing him. So, are you saying if Wilder knocks out Brazil? We're not getting a joint Fox or Showtime and top rank ESPN pay-per-view in December of Wilder Fury 2. We're instead getting probably Wilder Luis Ortiz 2 maybe on Fox pay-per-view this later this year. Is that what you're saying? Look, I would say revisit the, the, the time for the Fistianados podcast plug of the week. Revisit Evan Rutkowski's favorites folder. L- download some of his pods about what kind of numbers a Fury and Wilder pay-per-view would have to generate to make the kind of money they're talking about. Those fighters aren't big enough this year for them to do that. They need to build both. Uh, ESPN wants to build Fury. That's why All he's right. getting the Schwartz. And he's going to get some well, garbage against some, what's this? He needs the Shores. Fury needs the Shores and then another fight with the buildup. Yeah, he needs it, Rafe. Anyway, look, I'm glad. Be with your 
I am glad. I am glad that Tyson Fury is at least keeping this fight in the in the ether as if it's a possibility. That's right. better than nothing. Uh, just but so it's, you know, al- it's almost tantamount to nothing yes, in my we opinion. we got to wrap up the show. Just so you know, he's not going to jack on this deal. He'll be around, Rafe. All right, co-main event, do you care? Gary Russell Jr. defends that WBC featherweight title against Wash Kiko Martinez. Terrible fight, but I care about Gary Russell. He's he's a good fighter. I want to see him more active. Juan Geraldez against Arhenis Mendez, 10 rounds, junior welterweights. No, 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 no. There's a lot of other Gary Russells on this undercard. All brothers, you don't care. I mean brothers of Gary Russell. I don't mean brothers from a from a yeah, race-sensitive tone. All right, here we go, Rafe. It's Do You Care Time Thursday. RingTV.com from India, California. No. Indio. This Romero Dono versus Juan Antonio Rodriguez, 10 rounds lightweights. Pass, pass. Manny Robles III is in the co-main. You don't care about that, right? No, no, no. All right, all right. Friday night, ESPN Plus, Rafe. This has MTK written all over it, I think. From Belfast, Northern Ireland, Ryan Burnett against Jelbert Gomera, 12 rounds junior featherweights. Nah, I'll wait until Burnett comes back. All right, Friday from Mashantucket, Connecticut, my backyard, UFC Fight Pass. Is this a Roy Jones deal? Mike Williams versus Ricky Edwards, 10 rounds junior welterweights. You think I care? Well, let me tell you, the third fight on that card is Marco Hook versus TBA. Eight rounds heavyweights, Rafe. Wow. I, I mean, I have a soft spot for, for Hook, but still, no. All right. Does that, when that soft spot turns hard, is it still Hook shaped? <laughs> it got a hook in it. All right. Uh, Saturday from Stevenage, England on the plus, Rafe. MTK is back. Billy Joe Saunders defend, or sorry, he will fight for a vacant interim WBO super middleweight title against Shefa Asufi. Do you care? Mm, no, no. It's a, what kind of fake belt is that? This yeah. is all garbage. Yeah. Co-main event: Joe Joyce versus Alexander Ustinov. Heavyweights, you in it? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Joe Joyce guy. I like that. All right, Boy Jones Jr. versus TBA. Always, always love me some Boy Jones Jr. Just <laughs> keep his name on the schedule. Rafe, there's a guy in the undercard, a junior bantamweight, six rounder. He's fighting TBA. His name is Harvey, Harvey Horn. Horn. <laughs> Yes, Rafe. We gotta yes, get that the guy. Long lost brother of Jeffrey. Alright. Also on Saturday, Rafe, in the zone. Get in it. WBSS. We got one minute. Glasgow, Scotland. Ivan Baranchik versus Josh Taylor. Baranchik defending the IBF title at 140. The winner of this WBSS semifinal faces Rougarou. Your thoughts? In, in. Oh, I think that's a more exciting, uh, semifinal than the Rougarou one we wow. saw a couple weeks ago. And I like Josh Taylor, and I think that it will be tough. Baranchik is a bit of a beast, but Taylor's got the length and the skill to, I think, win it out. All right. Uh, co-main event, Emmanuel Rodriguez versus Nayua Inoue, the Japanese mm. monster for Rodriguez's mm. IBF Bantam title. It's a semifinal WBSS at 118. Inoue by murder. Thank you. Oh, I love me some of this fight though. It's gonna, I hope it's an interesting one, but man, I just want to see Inoue fight more. Like, oh yeah, I'm pumped for him. Oh, okay. Uh, Saturday in Hocus in Delaware, off TV, Hector Camacho Jr. versus Victor Abreu. No, Eight rounds, no. middleweights. Okay. Uh, hey, no. Uh, Saturday in Norfolk, Virginia, co-main event, Thomas Cornflake Lamana 
10 rounds, junior middleweights versus TBA. Who you got, I Rafe? Ca- I cannot care about Cornflake this time around. All right, all right. Now you got to get out of here, Rafe. Thank you for your patronage this week. Thank you for working hard for this show. I'm not going to ask you about these fights on Sunday in Cal- in uh, in Hollywood. Wow, Freddie Hernandez fighting Sunday in Hollywood. You going to be there? This ain't Birdo. This in ain't Birdo, Freddie. Uh, wow, it definitely ain't. All right. Uh, hey, thank you for listening to our show. Uh, please check out Saturday night on Showtime. Wilder, Brazil. One guy might be beat by a man with titties. Uh, for Rafe Bugs, I'm BC. Rafe, you got anything for the people? We out, man. <laughs> <laughs>